Well, this morning, as we continue in 1 Peter, uh, we're now in uh, 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11, and these are an exhortation for us to love one another earnestly and to serve in the strength that God supplies. And so Ryan will come and read for us that text from 1 Peter 4. Um, After that, Abby will come up and read for us from 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Um, And one of the amazing things about that passage is even though it's a different author, different book, it has the exact same message to it. So it's, uh, it's exhorting us to love one another, and it's also exhorting us to use the gifts that God gives to strengthen and encourage one another. After that, we'll go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, which shows us how the, the grace that God gives is not opposed to our own efforts, our own work. And then we'll close uh, with Ephesians 1, 15 to 19. Krista will read that for us, and that just reminds us of how great God's power is toward us. And so let's listen now to the reading of God's word as we hear how great he is and how great his power is towards us. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through chapter 13, verse 3. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, So as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 1 Corinthians 15.10 By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Ephesians 1, 15 to 19. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Well, as we look at First Peter 4, 7 to 11 this morning, we have a variety of commands here. Peter seems to jump from one idea to another, and so I want to try to bring some structure or order to this according to uh, the priority that Peter himself seems to give. And if you look at our verses for this morning, I think it's pretty clear what Peter sees as most important in these commands that he's given to us this morning. In verse 8, it begins with those words, above all, right? So he's saying this is most important, right? Above all And then what does he say is important above all? Keep loving one another earnestly. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. So I want to take this command to keep loving one another earnestly. It's kind of like the main idea for the sermon, the idea that kind of controls all the other ideas here. So you see before that command in verse 7, he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. So I think that's one part of earnestly loving one another. In verse 9, it says, show hospitality without grumbling. So that's another part of loving one another. And then in verse uh, 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And he goes on in that vein. So that's another part of loving one another. So I think all of these things are to serve this highest command, the, the command that is above all, which is to love one another. And again, this is fully consistent with everything else we've read in scripture, right? When someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? He said to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, or as we just read in 1 Corinthians 13, written by the Apostle Paul, he talks about how we each do have to use the gifts that God's given, but he says, but the most important thing is to love, right? You could use all the gifts that you have, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. And so we know that love truly is the highest command that we have in the Scriptures. And so we must remember that love is our primary duty. As Christians, love is the primary command that we are to have. Now, it's very fascinating to me that Peter goes to the command to love at this point in his letter. After all, if you remember, leading up to this point, what Peter has mostly been talking about is the call to suffer as we engage with the world, the call to live faithfully as Christians in the world. And when we live faithfully as Christians in the world, we're going to suffer and we have to be ready to give an answer, right, to whoever asks us for the hope that's, that's within us. That's what Peter has been talking about. And so it seems like he's really changing gears here as he goes to this command to love. But this also isn't the first time where Peter has talked about the church in his letter. If you go back to chapter 2, Peter has just some of the most lofty words for the church in all of the Scripture. So if you look at 1 Peter 2, uh, starting in verse 4, says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So he's spoken of the church before as this holy priesthood. And if you jump down to chapter two, verse nine, but you, that's you plural, you the church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter has already stated just how glorious the church is, right? The nature of the church as this chosen race, royal priesthood, as a spiritual house that's being built up. And from there, he moved on to talk about our duties in the world, our responsibility as Christians to testify to Christ wherever we are, even if that means suffering, even if that means persecution, But now in chapter 4, verse 7, he returns to this idea that we have to love one another. And again, he says that this is above all. So as much as we have a duty to go out into the world, to witness to Christ wherever we are, if there is just one thing we can do as Christians, this is what Peter tells us to do, to love one another. I think that the reason why Peter turns to this theme at this point in the letter is because he has acknowledged how difficult it is to live for Christ in the midst of the world. He's acknowledged that when we go out into the world and when we're telling other people about Jesus Christ, when we're trying to live according to his commands, we are going to get blowback. And not only blowback, but sometimes being honest doesn't pay off, right? Maybe sometimes we could get more money if we were to cheat the system somehow or something like that, but we're not going to do that because we're following Christ. And so Peter's recognized how difficult it can be, what we give up when we're in the world living for Christ. And what Peter is recognizing here is that no one is superhuman, right? That as we go out and live for Christ in the world, none of us are going to be able to just live that hard life just by trying to take on some like hard-nosed mentality saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to live for Jesus, if we don't have any respite, if we don't have any peace, if we don't have any comfort. And where do we find that respite? Where do we find that peace? Where do we find that comfort? Well, according to God's word, we're supposed to find that in the fellowship of his people. In the congregation of the righteous, as the Old Testament calls it, it's when we come together as a people that we find encouragement, that we find strength, that we find rest, so that then when we go out into the world, when we're separated from one another, we have the perseverance that we need, we have the mindset we need, we have the restoration that we need to do the hard things that God calls us to do. And so Peter has recognized the suffering that we have to walk through as Christians, how hard life is. And he's going to come back to that again in verse 12, very next, next week when we talk about it. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials. He's going to go back to that. But in the midst of all this, he's reminding us that even as we go out boldly into the world, what we need is this fellowship where we love one another earnestly. And so this is the focus of these verses that are before us this morning, how we can love one another earnestly. Now, again, as I've already pointed out, there are some other commands around this command to love one another earnestly that point the way towards how we are to do this. Again, there's the command to be self-controlled and sober-minded. This is an important element. There's the command to show hospitality. And then there's the command in verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, this is where Peter spends the most time, and so I think this is what is most central in Peter's mind to how we are to love one another, to be good stewards of God's grace. And so I want to focus on this element of it right here. You can see in verse 10, 
Peter says that we have each received grace and we are to steward that grace. And then he goes on to illustrate that in verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so Peter wants us to serve in the strength that God supplies. And what does that mean? Well, if you're speaking, it means you speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. So that's how I'm supposed to be speaking right now, right? That I'm not speaking in my own strength. I'm not speaking from my own ideas. But as I stand here, I'm depending upon God. I'm depending upon God's word, depending upon God's spirit. And so therefore, I'm supposed to proclaim boldly as if I'm speaking the oracles of God. And you're supposed to do the same thing as you speak in our meeting, in the time of prayer that we have, or as you speak to one another before the service, after the service. Don't just speak your own words, your own ideas, but speak with confidence that God is working through you. Speak as you speak the very oracles of God. Or whoever serves, and that's obviously a very large category, right? You can serve in a whole variety of ways. But however you serve, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So however you're putting forth effort to serve the body, whether that is an administrative task, whether that's in caring for children, whether that's in exercising hospitality, whether no matter what that is, however you're serving, don't do it in your own strength. Do it in the strength that God supplies. Now before I delve into exactly how we do that, I do just want to bring to your attention something that seems to me kind of like a strange contrast. So in verses 10 and 11, like I've just explained, Peter is exhorting us to depend upon God to allow God's strength to flow through us. And yet in verse 7, the very way he begins these verses this morning is to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled and sober-minded. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of self-controlled and sober-minded, I think of that as something that mainly I do, right? I mean, the the word self-controlled, right? Makes it sound like it's me controlling myself. That's self-control, right? Or sober-minded means that you're not, you know, exaggerating things. You're not like getting all hyped up for no reason. No, you're thinking soberly. You're thinking in a reasonable way. So on the one hand, we're to be self-controlled and sober-minded, But on the other hand, we're supposed to let the very power of God flow through us as we serve one another. Now, just one thing I want you to understand through this is that when Christians are prone to kind of divide ourselves into different categories, right? Um, Like, to me, the, the easiest way to think about this is like if you know any Presbyterians, for example, especially these high church Presbyterians, they're the ones that are going to think of themselves as the ones who are self-controlled and sober-minded, right? Like they're the ones that are are really rational, you know, they're they're going through life in a very uh, calm and orderly way, right? Or when you think of someone who's the, the grace, the power of God is flowing through them to others. Who do you think of? You think of like the charismatics, right? Who are always using the gifts of the Spirit whenever they gather together. And so Christians can sometimes want to kind of compartmentalize themselves. Think, well, I'm the self-controlled and sober-minded one, or I'm the, the Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered one. And obviously the words of Peter here should just kind of blow up those categories, right? 
we don't have a choice between being self-controlled and sober-minded or between being filled with the Spirit and the power of God flowing through us. These are not like two different things where you choose one or the other. Somehow, again, mysteriously in some ways, they're one and the same. And so I understand part of what Peter is saying here is that to be extremely spirit-filled, for the, for the grace of God to be flowing through you as you serve, as you serve in the strength that God supplies, if that's how you live, well, then you're going to be very self-controlled and sober-minded. And at the same time, if you want to be very self-controlled and sober-minded, that doesn't mean you're kind of divorced from the working of the Spirit in your life. No, it means that you're engaged in the work of the Spirit in your life. I mean, the the best way I can think of to put these things together is that the Spirit actually imparts self-control in a sober mind. The Spirit, the power of God, imparts self-control in a sober mind. So we don't want to choose to be one or the other. We want to be both. And we don't want to set these things at odds to one another. We want to embrace both. And I think we'll see a little more of how that's done as we look especially at verses 10 and 11. So let's go there now. This idea that as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, I'm convinced that if we want to be a people who love one another earnestly, if we want to be a people who show hospitality, if we want to be a people who are fulfilling God's commands in these ways and in even more ways... The most critical thing for us is to realize the message of verse 10. That God has given each of us grace and that we can steward that grace. That God is working in us and therefore as we go and work, we are not working in our own strength, but we are working in the strength that God supplies. I mean, just consider if you had this command to love one another earnestly and you didn't have this communication that God's grace was working in you. What would that mean? Well, that would mean that this command to love one another earnestly is now just kind of dumped on you, right? Like, this is a big job you got to do. I sure hope you can figure it out, right? Go and love one another. Good luck, (laughs) right? Is that what God is saying here? And again, not just the command to love, but think of all the commands in Scripture that we are to follow. I mean, does God just kind of give us these commands saying, now I hope you can figure this out, or I've already given you some grace, so you got to take it from here. (laughs) Is that kind of what God is saying to us? No, not at all. God is saying that my grace is new every morning. My grace is new every day. I am the faithful God. So if I give you a command, if I command you to love one another earnestly, if I command you to show hospitality, I'm not just kind of dumping that on you as something that you now have to go and figure out. No, I am giving you grace so that you can go and carry it out, not in your own strength, but in my strength, in the strength that God provides. That's how we carry out these commands. Beloved, when when Jesus said that he came to give us life and give it to the full, I think that this is primarily what he meant. That we would know in our lives, as we seek to obey God, that we would know the grace of God poured into our souls daily. 
Sometimes even more than daily. Sometimes moment by moment. And those most difficult times when you're not sure if you can persevere in obedience and you need like a continual flow of grace every second if you're going to remain in the faith. That is life to the full. The power of God filling you, flowing through you so that you can serve other people. The good news of the gospel is not only that we get forgiven of our sins and then we get to live forever with God. The good news of the gospel is ultimately that God is opening up to us a relationship with himself. Knowing God personally, knowing God personally, beloved, the Almighty, the creator of all things, through Christ's death on the cross, whereby he took all of our sins upon himself, And through his resurrection, where he brought newness of life, new creation power to the world, what Jesus was doing is saying that if you believe in me, if you trust in me, if you believe that I really am the Son of God, if you believe that I really did die for your sins and I really did rise again, then you know what you get? Yes, you get forgiveness. Yes, you get to live forever with God. But more than that, what you get is to know God. And what does it mean to know God? But what Peter is talking about here, God's grace flowing into you, strengthening you to do everything that God commands you to do. I mean, beloved, I I know a lot of people, but no person I know do I have a relationship with like that. Nobody else is like giving me strength moment by moment and day by day, like inviting me to live on the basis of who they are and the strength that they're going to give me, right? No, everybody else I know lives outside of me, lives over there. And I want to get to know them. I want to love them. I want to be in as close connection with them as I can be. But at the end of the day, I'm me and they're them, right? They can't give me anything. But what Jesus offers us when we trust in him, when each day we go to him in prayer and we say, Lord Jesus, I want to walk with you today. What Jesus does is he pours out his grace into our lives so that we can obey everything that God's given us to do. And his commandments are good, beloved. To be able to obey God is not like to give up on, you know, the good life and to settle for something boring and mundane. I mean, For crying out loud, as we've been going through 1 Peter, we see all these commands about, you know, witnessing and suffering and all these things. This is not a boring life. (laughs) This is a life filled with difficulty, trial, but with great hope and great joy. And what Peter's saying here is that God himself is able to strengthen you to do these things. God himself is able to strengthen you to fulfill his commands. If you think that you ever have to obey God's commands in your own strength, you will fall. You will fail. Or, maybe what's worse, in whatever way you succeed, you're just going to become a legalist, thinking that you're great and everybody else is messed up. (laughs) But when we understand that it's God's grace that is strengthening us, then we're able to both walk in righteousness and not look down on others who are struggling, who are failing, because we know that it is not our strength, but the grace of God that works in us. So my question for us is, how do we do this, right? So Peter has given us a really lofty idea here, right? 
Again, verse 10, as each has received a gift, okay, so each of us has received a gift apparently. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, okay? So we each received grace and varied grace, right? So we each have different kinds of grace, different measures of grace. And then he gives these examples. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. But how do we do this? I want to suggest three basic steps to doing your service in the strength that God supplies. And again, there could be a thousand different ways that you're going to serve God, right? So it's hard to apply this to uh, each particular act of service that you may do. But just think in your head right now, how do I want to be serving God? Maybe it's through fighting sin in some area of your life. Maybe it is through a more proactive way that you want to love the church body. Maybe it's some other way. Maybe it's witnessing to the lost. There's a whole variety of ways that we want to serve God, and you know that you want to do that not in your own strength, but in the strength that God supplies. You want to know God through your service. You want God's power to flow through you as you serve. How can we do that? Okay, so the three steps I want to give. The first step is to believe. The second step is to know. And the third step is to act. Okay, so we'll go through these three things. So believe. What do we need to believe? The first thing, if we're going to act out of the strength that God supplies, is we need to believe that God can and does strengthen us, right? If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that God can work in your heart, work in your life in such a way that he can flow through you, well, then you're never going to experience him flowing through you. (laughs) The way that we are united to God throughout Scripture is by faith, by belief. And so the first thing we have to do is we have to believe that God truly does work in this way. Matthew 17, verse 20, Jesus says to us, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So the first thing you have to think, again, whatever aspect, whatever way you're trying to serve God is just to ask yourself the question, do I really believe that God's power can come through here? Do I really believe that God can be with me in this thing? If you don't believe that, If you don't have faith in God in that way, then don't expect God to show up. But if you do believe God, then that's the first step, right? That's the first thing we have to do if we're to do anything for God is we have to believe God. One of the most faith-building scriptures for me in this aspect is one that we started to read at the very beginning of our service, Ephesians 1. In fact, I even invite you to turn there because it is a little complicated to see Uh, exactly what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 1. Um, But to me, this is is a verse that I probably pretty much on a daily basis do like remind myself of as I try to live for God, as I'm trying to believe that God is is true and that he can come through for me. So Ephesians 1, uh, starting in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay, so that's the context of all this. Paul is praying for them. Paul is praying for the church. Remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's the first thing he prays. Prays that they would have that spirit of wisdom and of revelation. 
What does that look like? Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Eyes of your heart enlightened, so basically so that you can understand certain things, so you can believe certain things. Eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That's the first thing he wants them to know. What is the... Uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's the second thing he wants them to know. But this is the third thing he wants them to know, and this is the critical thing that I want you to see, starting in verse 19, okay? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? <laughs> Did you hear that? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Beloved, do you want to know, again, in any task, in any way that you want to serve God, big, small, in between, daring, boring, whatever it may be, do you want to know if God has power in store for you to do that thing? Ephesians 1, 19 says that God's power towards you is immeasurably great. How big is that? It's immeasurable. (laughs) It's too big to measure. That's how great his power is towards you. But now listen to how Paul goes on and on about this power, okay? Immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So this is the the might. This is the power that is accessible to you today, right now. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what power is available to you? What grace does God offer to you? He offers you the power that raised Christ from the dead. He offers you the power by which Christ is now seated in the heavenly places. He offers you the power whereby Christ was put in charge far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. This is the power that God wants us to know, beloved. If you ever wonder, God, am I able to follow you in this way? Am I really able to live for you in this aspect where it's really hard for me, or where I really don't want to, or where it sounds really unpleasant? Can I really be faithful in that way? Can I really be obedient in that way? Beloved, in your own strength, not a chance. Not one day of the week will you succeed. But with this kind of power, (laughs) with the kind of power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and sat him in the heavenly places, you can do anything. That's how much power is available to you. That's how much grace has been poured out to you. And so the first thing we have to do if we want to know the power of God working through us is we just have to believe that that kind of power truly is accessible. That that kind of power truly has been given through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, if you don't believe that, don't expect to ever experience it. Don't expect to ever know it. But believing it is the first step to letting that power flow through you. So that's step one. The second step of experiencing the grace of God flowing through you in this way is to know, to know what God calls you to do. To know what God calls you to do. Now, God doesn't call us to do everything, right? And some things, he 
strictly forbids us from doing. And so, if you ever have several options in life between different things that you want to do, let's take the easiest example. One thing is sinful and one thing is good. Know that God's power is not going to be available to you to do the sinful thing, okay? You need to have some kind of discernment. You need to know God's word. You need to know God's will such that when you're walking through life, you are able to kind of see like, yes, this is something that is pleasing in God's sight. No, this is something that is not pleasing in God's sight. Because God's power is only in store for us for those things that are truly pleasing in his sight. For those things that are good, for those things that are lovely, for those things that are generous and kind and loving. These are the things that God empowers us for, okay? So don't expect God's power to, you know, really strengthen you when you're, you know, just brushing your teeth. (laughs) Don't expect God's power to strengthen you when you're walking in sin in some way. But if you are serving others in some way, if you are sacrificing something that you really want, something that you really like because you really care about someone else, because you really want to see them come to know Jesus Christ, well, then know that God's power is at work in that. You see, we have to exercise some level of discernment when it comes to the choices that we make every day. And if we want to know God's power, then we have to have our minds sharpened. We have to have wisdom to know what is pleasing in God's sight. And when we know what is pleasing in God's sight, and we know that God's power is on on tap for those things, then we are set up to know the power of God working through us. And so that brings us to the third step. What is the third step of knowing the power of God working through us? The third step is simply to act, to do it, okay? You know God's power is available to you. You know what the right thing is to do, okay? God's spirit is not going to like come behind you and like give you a shove in the back or something like that, okay? You have to choose to do that thing. You just have to go do it. And when you do it, You trust, you believe that God's power is working through you because you know that this is what God wants you to do. And it's really as simple as that, beloved. Now, where do I get this from? Let me just give you two scriptures that, to my mind, teach this very clearly. One we read before the message, 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So do you hear what Paul is saying there? Paul's saying, okay, I have received grace. Just like Peter saying in Peter 4, we've each received varied means of grace. Okay, I've received grace. Now, Because he's received grace, does that mean life was suddenly easy? He just always wanted to do the right thing? The wind was always at his back? No. He had to work. In fact, look at how he describes his work in 1 Corinthians 15.10. I worked harder than any of them. That's what he says. (laughs) I put forth more effort. I strained more. I put in more effort. I worked hard. Beloved, that's what we have to do as believers if we want to walk in obedience to God. We work hard. 
In fact, we're even allowed to say what Paul says here. I worked harder than any of them. I worked harder than any of you because we are putting forth effort. We are working. But what does Paul say about this working? Does he then like give himself a pat on the back like, so look at how well I did. Look at what a hard worker I am. Look at what I was able to achieve. <laughs> That's not what he says at all, is it? He says the opposite. He says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So this is what he recognized. He recognized that, that God's power was in store for him, that he had received grace. He recognized the work that God gave him to do. And then he tried really hard and he went and he did the work. And what did he think all along while he was doing that work? He thought, God's grace is really strengthening me. God's grace is really working through me. He was working. And as he was working, he was knowing the power of God in his soul. So you see, when we go out and when we want to exercise gifts, or again, as Peter says, if we want to be good stewards of God's grace, how do we be good stewards? Well, we just do what God wants us to do. But we don't do it in our own strength. We don't do it saying, all right, God, you've given me what I need already. We say, no, God, I need your strength today. I believe your strength is for me today. I will go and I will do it. And it's as we do it that we experience God's power. So go one other passage that has the same message. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, Paul's command here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work. This is something you have to do. Now, do you have to do it? Because, you know, God has already done his part and now you have to do your part? (laughs) Again, not at all. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we work, not because we doubt that God is going to show up, not because we think that God is kind of like handed off the baton to us. We work because God is working, because God works through us. And again, it's only in this way that we will know the power of God. I think this is how, ultimately, verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter 4 fit with verse 7, where Peter says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Do you see how this idea of being self-controlled and sober-minded is not opposite of being filled with the power that comes through the grace of God? It is the power that comes through the grace of God that makes us self-controlled and sober-minded. And so we go through our life in a self-controlled and sober-minded way, knowing ultimately that it is not really self-control. It's not us doing it, but it's God working through us. And our sober-mindedness does not mean that we have little hope or little aspirations. No, we're sober-minded about the enormity of God's grace that is at work within us if we are seeking to do His will. And what is the end result of this? If, if we 
live in this way, if we let the grace of God flow through us to serve others, the end of verse 11 of 1 Peter 4 says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Ultimately, the reason why this is so important, beloved, the reason why it's so important for you to understand that when you walk in obedience to God, it's not your own strength, but it's God's strength working through you, is because only then can God receive the glory for it. Only then can God receive the praise for it. Again, if you're doing your best to walk in obedience, and you think that it's all your moral effort, it's all your self-improvement, it's all you figuring stuff out, Does God get glory for that? No, you get the glory for that because you're the one that provided the strength. You're the one that provided the know-how. You're the one that put forth the effort. But when we understand that everything we do moment by moment, everything we do that's pleasing in God's sight is actually driven by God's Spirit, well, then suddenly we're able to give God glory for everything. And if we get praise for something really great that we did, it's just kind of like water that rolls off our back because we know it's like, well, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. And so we praise God then through all of our actions. And in this way, we are witnesses to the world around us. In this way, we become more loving people because God is empowering us to love others earnestly from the heart the way he commanded We experience more of that joy of friendship with God, of relationship with God, because we're experiencing his power flow through us for every good thing. So we know God's power more. And again, ultimately, we glorify God more in our lives. And so, beloved, I just invite you to this life, to this life where you're just a channel, a constant channel of God's enormous grace poured into your soul, flowing out from you to others. I know all of us kind of stop up this grace in one way or another. None of us are truly willing to believe just how much power God has in store for us. But beloved, just let those channels become unblocked this morning. Say, yes, there are things that I've been afraid to do. Yes, there are things I haven't tried to do, but I know that God's grace is there for me for that thing. And let God's grace work through you. Know his power in your soul, beloved. You will never regret it. You will never look back. Would you pray with me to that end right now?